0: now something you saw on that trip years ago shows up again on a moon surface almost 70,000 light years away I don't suppose you have any theories that might explain this I can give you an official rubber tree people theory if you like sky spirits sky spirits it's an ancient myth Welcome back to Delta Flyer. I'm Stuart Hollis.
1: And I'm Thad Haight.
0: And this week we are talking about Season 2, Episode 9, Tattoo.
1: It's a bit of a permanent episode.
0: Yes, it left an indelible mark mm. on my psyche. Oh, that was much better. Thank you. It originally aired on the 6th of November,
1: 1995. It was uh, directed by Alexander Singer, who... Directed six TNG and six DS9 episodes, and this is the first of ten Voyager episodes that he directed.
0: Ah, damn, I was hoping for the trifecta of 666. Uh. Oh, wait.
1: (laughs) He's, uh, oh, I actually do have a devil reference in a bit. Uh, He (laughs) is most known as a TV director. He did a bunch of episodes of Wonder Woman, Walker, Texas Ranger, and MacGyver, to name only a very few of the shows he's worked on. Ooh, MacGyver.
0: MacGyver yeah it's a nice tie-in back to s g one
1: yeah uh it was the story was by Larry Brody uh, who this is not the only story he wrote for Star Trek the other one we harken all the way back to the 70s for Star Trek the animated series uh, and he wrote the magics of Megus two which for those who have not seen the animated series and I know you're one of them Stuart uh, it that episode, the Enterprise comes to a planet w- that is inhabited by beings who had at one time lived among the people of Earth and had provided magic and other things. Like, they actually make fr- they befriend the devil, for instance.
0: Well, okay then.
1: So, in a weird way, there's a bit of a symmetry with those episodes. With Magic's Megas 2 and Tattoo, because we have a we again they come to a planet that's inhabited by people that had visited earth and left a mark on human development. Yeah. It was actually originally pitched in the first season and they had wanted to do it in the first season but they couldn't quite make the story work. Uh but then the teleplay by Michael Pillar uh Pillar had resurrected this in the second season as part of a plan to get the show back on track. This was the first of The first episode in that movement, uh, he was trying to get the show to be with a faster pace and be a little tighter than it had been to match other popular television shows of the time.
0: I don't remember much of television from when I was nine. Sure. So...
1: I have no examples. Did it work? (laughs) (laughs) That's all the information I have on that.
0: (laughs) All right. Well, our synopsis from TV Guide... The discovery of an ancient symbol from Chicote's past leads him to a mysterious tribe whose mistrust may spell disaster for Voyager. And disaster is spelled D-I-S-A-S-T-E-R.
1: Memory Alpha continues its, uh, vague booking here with, uh, Chicote investigates mysterious symbols and visions that are remarkably similar to one of his childhood experiences.
0: Okay, except, no, he doesn't. There's, like, yeah. The- he sort of investigates the symbol, not symbols, and he's not investigating the visions, he's just having them. Yeah.
1: This is, like, some this is some Stargate wiki-level bad synopsis right here.
0: Man, for real. Letting us down, Memory Alpha.
1: Yeah. Well, they did give me all that information that I just, you know, read about the, I just mentioned about the directors, the director and the writers, so, like, Memory Alpha is, like, Memory Alpha giveth, and Memory Alpha taketh away.
0: (laughs) Excellent. (laughs) Alright, so, what do you remember from this episode?
1: Almost nothing. I remember it being a Chakotay episode. I remember it being terrible. Which is why I probably haven't watched this episode in 20 years.
0: So it sounds like someone maybe had a change of heart. A bit of one,
1: yeah. Uh... It's not going to make my list of favorite episodes of Voyager, but it's no ex post facto either.
0: Wow. I mean, that's such an insanely low bar. (laughs) Yes. No, I, um, I remember nothing, uh, which is, you know, like my standard response. No, I, I really enjoyed it a lot. It reminded me a lot of, um, the SG one episode spirits.
1: Yeah. A little bit. Obviously we have the native American elements.
0: Uh right and that was the large part of it. I mean obviously this one since Dakota has a direct connection to the tribe that was the big difference there. Yeah. But the secondary point was that unlike spirits this one actually had a B plot. Yes. Which is actually like a pretty common thing a uh, pretty common difference between SG1 and Voyager is that Voyager will frequently have a B sometimes even like a small C plot. And SG-1 is like, this is what we're doing this episode.
1: Yeah, the the B-plot is just standard for the second generation of Star Trek. I think that's what I'm going to start calling it. That makes the most sense to me. Okay. Because, like, with TNG era kind of works, but Enterprise would be included, and then you can't really call that TNG era. So the period in which star trek shows were made from 1987 through
0: 2005
1: which i'm just going to from this point on on the show we're going to call that the second generation of star trek
0: okay i can get behind that i'll probably never actually say that but uh, as long as you're on board that's cool
1: well yeah it's just sort of i realized i i tried to like have a name for it last week and it didn't really work and it, it's going to come up again cuz there's there are there are common themes throughout all all four of those series but they mm-hmm. weren't all in the 90s. They weren't all in the same time period. Sure, sure, sure. So, yeah.
0: Speaking of, com- of uh, something that's going to come up again, I thought that Polyferrite was going to be a one-and-done.
1: I assumed it was as well.
0: According to Memory Alpha, it comes up once more, only on Voyager.
1: Hmm. Has
0: something to do with getting the cells working properly. I don't know.
1: Well, that's some nice continuity, a throwback there, because they clearly needed it for the propulsion in this episode. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, And we did have another Magnesite reference
0: Yes, yes we did So perhaps that was not a one and done
1: We had already determined that wasn't a one and done It was the other thing The trigemic stuff Vapors Yeah
0: Yeah no, No vapors on this episode
1: No, but we did have some kind of power source And some kind of cloaking technology Right after each other too
0: yeah, I thought I had I thought I had caught a third on my first watching, but I didn't pick back up on it on my second, so maybe it was some kind of hallucination. Mm. It's a possibility. So we open with them on a rocky planet full of rocks, looking for polyferrite to fix the nacelles or something. Uh but all the polyferrite there is no good, it's adulterated or something with other minerals. Yeah. Uh and then they call over Jacote to check out this weird symbol they found on the rocks, and we get our first of many many flashbacks to young Jacote,
1: yeah, and I didn't hate the flashbacks to young jacote I, I again, I was expecting to i was ex- when I first saw him go, here we go, but no, I actually enjoyed it, a young Chakotay, being a teenager was sullen and not into what his father was doing because he was a teenager,
0: uh yeah i said it that way because i was going to keep track of how many flashbacks there were and i gave up after like three Mm. so
1: there might be more flashbacks in this episode than in the episode flashbacks
0: (laughs) nice but mostly i was caught up on like trying to figure out where i had seen young before and i couldn't figure it out and i ultimately went to imdb uh young chakotay is douglas spain who was also in Band of Brothers, which is almost certainly what I was thinking of.
1: Ah, that makes sense. Who was he in Band of Brothers?
0: I have no idea. It doesn't matter, but he was in there. Okay. I don't think he was one of the main guys, but oh, okay. he was in there, and I've seen Band of Brothers, like, two or three times, so...
1: Did you happen to look up who Chakotay's father was? Because I meant to and then didn't.
0: I mean, on the same page, that information was there, but I didn't catch it.
1: Okay, because he looked familiar to me.
0: A little. But,
1: Yeah. I enjoyed that. Uh, it's a li- the Chicote's father. The the Native American stuff was a little tainted for me, knowing that they're getting this from a fake Native American.
0: Uh, yeah, for me, it was also an issue of their emphasis. Where sometimes it was the rubber people, and sometimes it was the rubber tree people.
1: Yes, that bothered me as well.
0: But like their emphasis was wrong on rubber tree people. Like it should have been like rubber tree people. And instead, like, they had no emphasis anywhere, and so it could be like, these are tree people made of rubber.
1: <laughs> also, mean, unlikely.
0: do rubber trees grow in Central America? Or South America? I thought they were only in, like, the like Pacific. Like, Indonesia. So,
1: yeah, that's an interesting point. They do now, because they were transplanted, but I don't think they're native to... Because I know... Henry Ford had a failed uh, rubber plantation in Brazil, but that wasn't because the plants wouldn't grow there. It was because he was trying to grow them like you would grow other cultivated plants.
0: Yeah, I mean, well, he had like a whole city built there, practically.
1: Yes, and it failed.
0: He also was a friend of the Nazis.
1: Yeah, he was.
0: So was IBM.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Henry Ford was also, in addition to being a friend with the Nazis, or I guess hand in hand with being a friend of the Nazis, he was a racist.
0: Yeah, that that's more hand in hand.
1: Okay, so I'm looking here, and there is a ver- there is a species of rubber tree that is, yep, it's the South American rubber tree that grew only in the Amazon rainforest.
0: Okay, cool. Problem solved.
1: I still don't know about Central America, but th- knowing that there are rubber trees in South America means that the idea of them being in Central America n- is not, you know,
0: out of the question. Sure. Back to this episode. Indeed. Uh, after the first flashback, we're in sick Bay, mm-hmm. And Ensign Wildman is being examined by the doctor because she has pain. I definitely felt like the doctor went through his list of how does the pain feel really quickly.
1: Yes, he did. Very quickly.
0: Choose the word that would best describe your pain. Burning, throbbing, piercing, pinching, biting, stinging, shooting. Yeah, and there were a lot of aspects about the doctor in this episode, like, before he gave himself the fake virus, mm-hmm. that felt kind of out of place as compared to what we've seen the previous Season and a third mm.
1: Yeah I would I would agree it seems like He regressed a lot In his uh, bedside manner
0: uh, Yeah that's a pretty good way of putting it, it just, Yeah it, it just it Seemed more brusque You know he's always like a little brusque and blunt But this seemed more Than usual and that just kind of threw me off mm.
1: So Quick aside Yes Uh where I know Chicote's father from is he was Zorro in many different television shows about Zorro.
0: Ah, that's squares.
1: So the the B-plot was an idea of Robert Picardo's because he wanted to show some growth in the Doctor.
0: Okay, cool. That was, yeah. Yeah, no, that, that's a good idea. I mean, it, it, it's unfortunate that they had to, like, regress him in order to show... Decent growth, and it also doesn't show any growth?
1: Not really, no.
0: You know, he's persnickety at the beginning, he gives himself an illness, and he's all holier than thou, and then he's like, oh god, the world is ending, everything's terrible, but we don't see, we don't get, get like, a payoff in this episode?
1: Yeah, we we don't really, and I would say that in the same, this sort of, Felt like it came out of nowhere the same way, um, like, the Doctor's complete lack of empathy felt like it came out of nowhere the same way back in Twisted, the animosity between Tuvok and Chakotay, that was was suddenly there, and then is never spoken of again.
0: Uh, Yeah, I mean, speaking of other things that came out of nowhere, Chakotay being all, Hey, Neelix, come on this away mission with us.
1: Well, he is their, you know, ambassador.
0: Yeah, but Dakota was, like, downright amicable. That's true. He didn't have to do it, like, grudgingly or anything.
1: Well, maybe the crew is finally starting to accept Neelix, maybe. Now that Tom Paris and Neelix are on good terms, the rest of the crew follows.
0: Yeah, that's possible.
1: Now, interestingly, about Neelix, uh, because of wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey recording scheduling, we, we won't be able to... we will in the future, have talked about when we, when we do Tuvix, which we've already recorded because of reasons, we will, we will wonder why Neelix and Tuvok were sent down to the planet to collect orchid specimens. Oh! In this episode,
0: which takes place... I didn't even draw that line! <laughs> which takes place before <laughs> Tuvix,
1: we learn that both Neelix and Tuvix, or Neelix and Tuvok, I should say, uh, have uh, experience with orchids. So there you go.
0: Neelix apparently refers eating them.
1: Sure, they're edible.
0: Sure. Uh, so, before we get to Neelix eating flowers, mm-hmm. which doesn't actually happen in this episode, for anyone who's listening to us but hasn't watched the episode...
1: It may have happened off-screen. I
0: don't know, weirdos who listen but don't watch. Anyway. Uh,
1: yeah. We w- certainly wouldn't know anyone like that, would we?
0: No, of course not, weirdo. Uh, I do want to uh, call out... um. So When Janeway and Chakotay were talking Mm -hmm. after he had seen the squiggly line, Chambousi, and Janeway calls out, That's what I was always taught. On the other hand, none of my teachers ever spent much time in the Delta Quadrant. As if, like, everything's topsy-turvy in the Delta Quadrant? Yeah, I was wondering about that. I mean, at this point, like this is going to be our first, but not last uh, example of some species from the Delta Quadrant who had made their way to Earth, or vice versa.
1: Yeah, vice versa, in that, in the next instance.
0: So, I, you know, in future sight, foresight, that statement's not completely ridiculous, but it felt like a little weird for her to say.
1: Yeah, like, it's almost like she's, like, she's saying, well, you know the other week when we found that planet that proved that evolution doesn't happen, or something. <laughs>
0: Right, exactly. <laughs> like, and that's I mean, we didn't see that happen. Yeah. Show us.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Janeway, the scientist, tell us about this. Yeah, for real. <laughs> so yeah. Uh that was that was a little weird as well, I thought.
0: But getting back to Neelix on the away mission. Mm-hmm.
1: Neelix gets Neelix discovers the alien stuff and gets attacked by a hawk
0: uh yeah but before that he comments that the mighty starfleet ships
1: ah yes he does
0: so yeah it's a shuttle man yeah so there's multiple things
1: to that all right so they're on the they're on the shuttle on their way down to the planet in case you haven't watched the episode and there's a storm so and Felix <laughs> says and i quote uh it takes more than a thunderstorm to bother your mighty starfleet ships huh And I almost feel like he's trying to reassure himself, but it's weird that Neelix, of all people, would say this, because two freaking weeks ago, Neelix was in a shuttle that crashed due to an atmospheric issue on a different planet.
0: Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Dude. How did, like, I feel like it could have been better if, when they had gotten to the transporter room... And they found out they couldn't beam down because every time they tried to lock the targeting sensor, a storm propped up. That, and they're like, "Well, I guess we'll take a shuttle." And Neil's be like, "A shuttle through the storms?"
1: Yeah. It's like also when they say that when when they were talking about that, I'm like, I've seen i've I've played these video games, I've seen these movies. They're gonna crash.
0: And yet they didn't.
1: And yet they didn't, I know. But it felt like they should, you know? Because it's always like, well, that means there's some supernatural force that's trying to keep people away from the planet or something.
0: Yeah, no, not supernatural, just, like, super technology. Right. Yeah, I don't even think uh, Starfleet has weather control. Starfleet
1: does have weather control.
0: Nice. Yeah.
1: It comes up on TNG and DS9. Ah, okay. For obvious reasons, it doesn't come up on Voyager.
0: Right. (laughs) So... They get down to the planet, and we have the Orchid conversation. Mm-hmm. Chakotay has another flashback.
1: He has so many flashbacks. I... Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. No, no, no. Like, the only flashbacks I'm going to call out are ones where I actually made notes about them, which uh. is, like, I think, like, one more. But <laughs> in this one, it was the, you know, the, the dad... Did he ever get a name?
1: He did.
0: And what was his name?
1: His name was Kolopak.
0: Cool. So... The dad. <laughs> so the dad is talking with Chakotay and he's saying, Well, this is why they call it a rainforest. And they have the conversation, and then it leads to, It was a mistake to bring you. And it's like way to reach that, hit that realization now that you're however many light years from your actual colony on this getting in touch with your roots trip. Yeah. Thanks, dad.
1: <laughs> so was. This is not the conversation where... This is not the flashback where Chakotay tells his father he's going to Starfleet Academy. That's a later flashback, right?
0: No, that'll come after we jump back to the B-plot. Okay. Where the doctor reveals to us that he, is inject- he has uh, holographically infected himself with a holographic version of the blah, 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 flu. Lavodian. Thank you. And he blows his holographic nose with holographic tissue paper...
1: Don't give them to the patients.
0: Why? Why not give them to the patients? If the doctor can, like, touch a patient and administer drugs and everything else, like, why...
1: Because when the hologram goes away, the snot would still be there.
0: Okay, then just make sure that the patients hand them back so that the holog... That, you know, they can put it... Be put into, like, an incinerator or something.
1: Hmm. Yeah,
0: see... What are they gonna do with regular tissues?
1: And, see, this is where it stretches my imagination that they could actually use a hologram. For, like, Because the holograms, are the, re- the way they have matter is by e- tiny force fields. And it stretches my imagination that they can use tiny force fields to simulate a tissue. But if they can do it to simulate lungs, they certainly can do it for tissues.
0: Okay. How about this idea that just occurred to me? Uh-huh. They're literally holographic tissues. They don't exert a force field. Because the doctor doesn't well, need no, them. Well, no, the
1: to. doctor's tissues wouldn't. Right.
0: Right. That's what I'm saying. It's like the doctor wouldn't need them to. It's like there's like. He says like don't give them to patients or something like whatever his exact wording was. But he could have just as like, said like they're literally holograms. Mm. They can't like. You can't even touch them. And she could have. And they could have like added like a hand wavy thing, but that probably would have been. Well you know like extra CGI that wasn't necessary right so like there's no reason for the holographic tissues that only the holographic doctor uses to actually have any that's true um corporeality
1: yeah they're non-corporeal tissues
0: there you go yeah like they don't need to be corporeal that's fair neither does his snot
1: well yeah the snot i would presume is not is non-corporeal Otherwise, that would cause all... all, Yeah, that would be just all sorts of...
0: It wouldn't be, like, infectious. It would just be, like, goo. Right, and can a force field really simulate goo? I don't know. People are drinking holographic drinks and Chez Santrain. Yeah,
1: and I still think it's gotta be... That's gotta be replicated. They talk about how the holodeck converts energy to matter and vice versa. So that's gotta be, like, replicated on the spot. Because you can't drink a force field.
0: Yeah, it's all very strange.
1: But then if it's replicated on the spot, it would be able to give Harry Kim gas. <laughs> but we have literally had this exact same conversation in the past, so we don't need to drag it up every time.
0: No, but I think I completely like neglected to mention, like, how the heck does wine give someone gas?
1: <laughs> I don't know, man. How does anything give anyone anything?
0: Well, there's plenty of explanations why certain things give certain people certain things. Anyway. (laughs) So we're back on the planet. The
1: wine reacts with the bacteria in his gut in a certain way that... It's fake wine. Not if it's replicated. (laughs) If it's replicated, it would still react in a certain way. I mean, yeah, it's possible.
0: Ah, jeez. So we're back on the planet. Yes,
1: we're back on the planet. And
0: we... And I don't know things happen but my next note was the flashback where he's telling his father about talking to Captain Sulu.
1: Yes. Who is almost certainly not Hikaru Sulu. I
0: I was hoping that it was but I mean you're right like there's almost
1: Okay. So it's certainly possible Shikote was born in 2329. So we'll assume if he was just accepted to Starfleet Academy he's around 18. Uh, so that would put this in 20 23- Three, 3... 47. Right, 47. Mm-hmm. Which, Su- Hikaru Sulu, we don't actually know when he was born. Okay. But, we know that he was on the Enterprise as early as 2265, and that he was a lieutenant at the time, so he would have been at least 20, probably. Right. So, we'll just say 20. He's probably slightly older, but we'll go with that.
0: So it's unlikely that he's one hundred ten years old,
1: and still a captain. <laughs> well, yeah,
0: Harry Ken's probably still going to be an ensign at one ten.
1: Well, yes. Uh. <laughs> but, so it's it's certainly possible that a hundred ten year old Hikaru Sulu is still you know around doing stuff. He may even still be in Starfleet. I would imagine he's an, he would be an admiral if he's still in Starfleet, and if and either way, I doubt he's still commanding a starship.
0: Yeah, that's hmm.
1: And we know it's a he, because they say he, so it's not going to be the only, the only child of Sulu that we know exists in canon, who's Demora Sulu, Uh, because she would have been, she certainly could have been a captain. Would have been
0: about the right age.
1: Because she was an ensign in Generations, which took place in 2293, so yeah, this is like 50 years later, she would have been, yeah, she would be Picard's age, or a little older. Yeah. Uh, well, okay, somewhat older, but not, like, a lot. She could certainly be a captain at that age. Now, this, it could be, though, maybe Sulu had another, had a son, or Demora Sulu had a son of her own, and he he would be... And he was
0: quite precocious.
1: Yeah, I mean, Kirk was a captain in his 30s, or in the Kelvin timeline, even younger. That's
0: true. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, and he didn't say, like, a captain of what, I mean...
1: Right, or it... I mean, it's also possible that it's a completely unrelated Sulu, but come on.
0: Yeah, and you also have to think... So, when Chakotay, like, at that age... I mean, they're already talking a little bit about... Like, they're already talking about how how they're on the Romulan border. or Cardassian. Thank you. So, it's not entirely impossible that tensions weren't already, like, starting to heat up a little bit. So, maybe they would like, promote some people a little ahead of time to get more ships out there?
1: Okay, so, yes. The Federation-Cardassian War started in 2347.
0: Okay. So, eh, I wish it had started what? earlier. What?
1: The war lasted 19
0: years. It seems like a long time.
1: That's what I'm saying. Like, it couldn't have been a hot war that whole time.
0: No. No, 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 no. No, there just would have been, like... Lots of garbage skirmishes. Yeah. But...
1: Yeah, okay, so the, it was prolonged series of conflicts between the Federation and the Cardassian Union from 2347 to 2366. So, yeah, but they... I mean, we know that they actually, like, fought a war with battle lines and stuff, and that could not have been for 19 years.
0: No. Uh, I mean, like, fast forward backwards to <laughs> Star Trek Discovery... Where they're gone for like six months, and like the whole war has shifted drastically.
1: And I still have issues with how that was resolved, but that's a whole yeah. Other. Well, we're not a Discovery podcast; there are plenty of those already.
0: No, we're here to talk about Voyager, and we're gonna get back off. We're gonna get off of which Captain Sulu was it? Yes. So we're still on the planet, <laughs> and this is when. Botany Team 1, I think is what it was. Maybe it was Horticultural Team 1.
1: Botanical Surveyor number one to Commander
0: Chakotay. Calls back to Chakotay that they saw something incredible and then gets attacked by the bird. Yes. So they do an emergency beam-out on Neelix.
1: And at that point, I'm like, wait, they can beam-out?
0: Right. But here was what I was stuck on with the emergency beam-out. So there's two aspects to this. First, I'm going to uh, pitch a book that I just got recently thanks to BookBub, mm-hmm. Um Obviously, we have no sponsors, so they're not a sponsor. Uh, but if they were, that'd be cool. If they
1: want to, if so, if you're from BookBub and you're listening, both Stuart and I really like your service, so we would be happy to take your money.
0: Uh, yeah, so, like, just as, like, a quick, like, pitch for them, for other, I'm sure that people who listen to our podcast also read, you know, books. Uh, BookBub, you give them a list of, like, what your interests and, like, favorite authors are, and then every day you get, I don't know, like, four or five uh discounted books that are in that realm.
1: These are ebooks, by the way.
0: Uh, yes. The, yeah, yeah, they're ebooks, and you also tell like what stores you prefer.
1: Yeah, because they will list all of them.
0: Uh, yeah, so like I prefer uh iBooks, uh, Thad prefers Kindle. Um
1: in general it'll be the same books because these pr- these sales are usually set by the publisher so they'll set the same price and the same sales on all the different stores. Kindle, Nook, iBooks, Kobo, etc.
0: Uh, yeah, but the email you get is tailored to you. So you tap the th- so if you tap the link, it takes you to your store of choice. Yep. Anyway, so like I I like sci fi, I like fantasy, I like history. Um, so I'll get this daily list of four or five books that are either like free or like two or three dollars.
1: I suspect our lists are very similar, if not the same, every day.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, probably pretty similar. <laughs> uh, but a few weeks back, I got a recommendation for a book called The Fold. Uh, which is about this uh, like top secret, um, like DARPA project that had invented teleportation. Except that based on how far I, I'm only about a third through the book so far, uh, but from what I'm reading, no, they've invented a staple wormhole. They've invented a Stargate, mm. which actually gets called out pretty early in the book, and they're like, no, nah, they don't like, they don't, they don't like that reference. I am like the, well, they're wrong. Um,
1: uh, yeah, that's not quite the same thing as teleportation.
0: Uh, yeah, no, it's not. But anyway, my second point, now that we're done pitching bu- BookBub, uh, <laughs> which is great, uh, is, okay, so Neelix is injured. Uh-huh. So as we know, Federation transporters work because they're murder machines. They take the person, uh-huh. they disintegrate the person, and they create a whole new person on the other side who has that the same memories.
1: Is a matter of some debate. I am I agree with you.
0: Yes, what they do is like they reconstitute the matter, but first the person has to die.
1: See, I agree with you. Uh but it depends on who, on who you ask. In fact, you can there are some scientists who say that it's they're actually converting the matter to energy instead of destroying the matter. But that's a I agree with you that basically they're, you, you're killing someone every time. It doesn't matter. You're creating the same person on the other end, so it doesn't matter if you're killing them, but it is killing them.
0: Hey, listen, you know, when someone gets, like, third-degree burns on their body, all that's happening is the skin is converting to carbon. <laughs> so, and we also know that the transporter system has a way to, although they don't always choose to enforce oh, it, Oh, I know. Oh. Disable people's weapons.
1: Yes, it does. So
0: clearly... They can interact with the matter stream before it. They call it reintegrating, but we'll just call it integrating because it's a murder machine.
1: Also, they have in the past on Star Trek used an earlier saved pattern in the transporter buffer to revert someone to a previous state.
0: Right. So why did they have like? Yep. Why can't they just heal Neelix's scratch?
1: I know. See, there's so much conflicting information in Star Trek lore about this. Because on DS9, we find out that transporter patterns use so much memory that it took up every single scrap of memory on the station. Quad. Yes. Well, yes. Um, Whatever. But on TNG, we find out that they just routinely save the patterns of everyone. So... I mean,
0: as a digital pack rat, I'm... Thoroughly in the TNG camp I would absolutely have like everyone's Like most recent Say three transporter Buff like patterns Just saved just Storage is cheap On
1: at least two Occasions possibly more That I'm not thinking of They use That transporter pattern that Saved to revert someone To a previous state you know basically Like engaging system restore i mean right
0: because it's a murder machine
1: so it does bring into the question the very fact that they were able to do this should mean that they should always be able to do this they should also be able to bring people back from the dead
0: right because they it's... were dead as soon as they stepped on the <laughs> right, path
1: exactly so this creating the, these people whole cloth from energy it should yeah. yeah oh no there's so many problems with this entire thing it, it there's so many holes in it, because, yeah, no one should ever die in Starfleet, because you can always just... Right. Or ever, anywhere, because the all of Federation has this technology, other species also have this technology, people should be effectively immortal.
0: Now, the other people's technology could work differently, it could work more like they are establishing, like, a staple point-to-point wormhole. That's true but federation transporter is definitely a murder machine. It's
1: the other thing, it's like, oh, I turned 40, I'm starting to get some gray hairs, better revert to my 30-year-old transporter pattern.
0: Ooh, with your memories of yeah. Federation transporters could theoretically solve immortality. Yes. Man, could you imagine like like the young spry Captain Picard who got stabbed in that bar but with like with like thirty years of captain experience under his belt,
1: yeah. And see, that's part of why I was always in the TNG episode of "Rascals" when Picard. Uh, oh, they t- t- turned into the kids. Various other, and some other crew members get turned into kids due to a transporter accident, and then at the end of the episode, they use the transporter puff patterns to revert them back to their old peoples of uh, uh, patterns. Like, why would you do that?
0: Because you don't want a 12-year-old bossing people around on the bridge?
1: Yeah, but they've just... Like, in Picard's case, he's just given him another 40 years of life. I mean...
0: Yeah, I didn't realize that that's how long this conversation was going to go for, but I'm all for it. Like, we could probably do, <laughs> lay down, like, a solid, like, 20 minutes on transporter stuff if we had him on already.
1: Oh, God, yes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so... After Neelix gets emergency beamed out. Yes. They are, um...
1: Which they can somehow do. Right,
0: which we'll get to later in the episode.
1: I'm glad they mentioned it later, but they basically yes. seem to have... When Jacote orders it, he basically had forgotten, or something.
0: Uh, well, you know, like, you just, like, you fall back on protocol. Like, I, I, I'll allow that. Alright. Um, so, so the next thing uh, that, that happens is he tells them to disarm themselves. Which, Tuvok, uh, disagrees with strenuously.
1: Yes. Well, as the security officer, I mean...
0: Yeah, yeah. But I also noticed that I'm pretty sure that Tuvok is left-handed. Interesting. Everyone else wears their phaser... Everyone else that we saw on this episode with a phaser, I didn't go back and review old episodes, has their phaser on on their left hip, which means they can grab it with their right hand. Yep, like a sword. And Tuvok has his on his right hip which always it's it's cuz it's on
1: the hip I guess it's it's easier to reach to your opposite hip. I don't know cuz like I'm thinking like gun holsters.
0: Yes. You
1: typically would have on the same side, but guns are usually on would usually be on the leg, not on the hip.
0: Yeah, it, it it's closer to like with a gun holster it is clo- yeah, it's closer to like it's on it's perpendicular to the way you're facing whereas these are sort of like like I mean they're not. Uh, I mean they're they're kinda like they're more or less like That's the best way to put it like they're on your front side rather than your yeah. side. I've always side. thought it was
1: kinda weird how they wear the phasers.
0: Well but think of like a think of like a shoulder holster.
1: Oh that yeah, and a shoulder holster you would put it on the opposite side.
0: Yeah. Right, you know, like think like a hard boiled detective who's got four slugs in him and three of them are bourbon. <laughs> you know, like like the sh- like yeah, the shoulder holster is on your like opposite side. So that makes sense like the hip holster yeah. thing but speaking of hip holsters in this case not for a phaser it's interesting that Kess's tricorder holster was color matched to her outfit
1: well everyone's well i guess everyone else is black
0: uh, yeah but I, I i seem to recall that i've I, i've i think i've noted this before like neelix's is often like color matched to his outfit and it just feels weird
1: Again, we come back to they, sh- they have limited replicator rations. Why are they wasting them on custom colored tricorder holsters?
0: Right, that's what I'm saying. Like, <laughs> why don't they have like a thousand of these in storage along with those coffee cups? Uh, but anyway. Why did
1: they have the coffee cups in Yeah, st- uh. On a ship with, where everything's replicated, it doesn't make sense to have cups at all. Right, you replicate the thing and a coffee
0: cup appears.
1: Anyway, on. On today's episode of, we we have rants that we've already had. Uh,
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay. So they drop their guns. Yeah. And we get a flashback to when young Chakotay dropped his guns. Mm-hmm. And that's when, in the flashback, they meet the Rubber Tree people.
1: Yes. This is the second time in Star Trek history that an episode of Star Trek has had subtitles. Oh. The first was in TNG, uh, Matter of
0: Honor. It was Klingon, in case you were wondering. Ah, okay. I was.
1: It will not be the last. There will be plenty more, and pretty much every episode of Discovery. Sure.
0: So, okay. So a a spear gets thrown at one point, Mm -hmm. and we get, like, the classic Foley spear-throwing sound. I've never thrown a spear or been near a thrown spear do they actually make that noise
1: I have also never thrown nor been near a thrown spear
0: so a storm hits mhm and they decide to head back to the shuttle but they can't find it and then Jakota gets pinned by a tree and Balana and Tuvok are like whatever leave that guy cuz clearly the starfleet does not believe in never leaving a man behind mhm and i had to wonder at that point what if Balana or Tuvok had gotten pinned by the tree and they had to then interact with the aliens?
1: It would not have gone as well.
0: No, probably not.
1: Also, I feel like the aliens... Uh, we're skipping ahead of it, so never mind.
0: Skip around. Okay. You know us. We're super loosey-goosey here.
1: So, the aliens, they talk about how they had returned uh, and uh, 12 generations, or it was 8 generations ago, I think. 12. It was 12? Okay. Right, and I did the math on that, assuming that a generation is... I just assuming 50 years it's not, but assuming it is. Uh, that would have been, like, 19th century, which makes would make sense. 19th or 20th century would make the most sense for what they were describing. Uh,
0: yeah. Henry Ford's down there, raping and pillaging.
1: Yeah. But they must not have looked or had the capability to look very hard since we find out that the Rubber Tree people had been there the whole time.
0: Yeah, they probably want to keep, like, a low profile. I mean, if you're looking at... Okay, so... A generation. I mean, yeah, we know what a generation is, but we don't know I what mean, their
1: generations are.
0: Yeah, so that's what my point. Is like that's what I was getting to. Is like, the, like the time period is fairly fluid. Like generations are getting slightly longer over time, you know. Whereas before, um, you know, it's less likely nowadays for someone to have a kid when they're. 17 and more likely for them to have a kid when they're 25. Yeah. So like they're, the first time they quoted was like a thousand generations ago, which is a, like, that's a nice solid up but that puts you in the Like 15, 20,000 years ago. That's about the right time for them to like have encountered these people and there to be little outside cultural influence.
1: Hmm they didn't even have language yet according to
0: yeah but like the 12 generation thing that's a little weird because 12 generations from the perspective of what's the current year 23 2372. Or, yeah like 12 generations from there we're looking at anywhere from like 300 to 600 years right it's I don't know it's weird and i feel like 600 years is too far back
1: 600 years there would actually still be quite a lot of uh, quite a bit of native populations because that would have been like the 1700s so like the western united states was almost completely unsettled by europeans
0: at that point y- yeah okay which would also like lead us into central america and whatnot
1: yeah central america actually would have had more because of the spanish settlers but it still would have there still would have been some. And, again, we come back to the fact that we find out these rubber tree people have been here
0: the whole time. Right. And here's another thing. They go and they find the rubber tree people. hmm And they are clearly not human.
1: Yeah, I guess they do have a little bit of... Yeah, okay. They do have something going on there.
0: Like, a little bit. Like, not, like, a ton. But, like, they're not... But well, that, could,
1: that could also be, like, um, scarification.
0: I mean, maybe... I mean, I suppose that's possible. I had not considered scarification
1: because they're also talking about how they are the—they have the same ancestors as Chicote, so they are human. Like plot-wise, they're human.
0: Yeah, but no, like, yeah. I suppose that it could be scarification, but I was looking at it as like they had like a highly pronounced like ridge above their nose, like between their eyebrows, like some extra ridging. Like, above their eyebrows and everything, they look like a proto-mix between the, you know, the sky spirit ancestors and humans.
1: Yeah, they do, kinda. Okay. I was just, uh, like, when I was watching it, I was just assuming this was, it was, uh, it was all, like, ritual things that they had done to their faces.
0: That idea had never occurred to me. I don't know how prominent Scarification was... In Central American tribes. I, I don't either. I'm not an anthropologist.
1: I am not, no.
0: So then we see Jacote's butt.
1: If not actually Chicote's butt.
0: Well, now I feel that down.
1: I do not know the name of the stunt butt, but it was not Robert Beltran's butt. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. I, I think that, like, we spent a lot of time meandering around this episode. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. There wasn't a whole lot that was like... There was a lot that was important to Chakotay, but there wasn't a whole lot that was important to like the larger plot. Yes, but I did. But I do have a couple more notes. Uh-huh. Um, when he's encountering when he when he when Chakotay is with the Sky Spirits, the ancestors, uh-huh. and they have the communication device there, so they can actually talk with each other. And he's like, "Well, we we told you we broadcast out that like what our intentions were." It's like, well, in our experience, humans always say that when they're going to kill people. And it reminded me of, um, getting back to Star Trek Discovery, I didn't realize that this is going to be the second reference to Star Trek Discovery this episode. Ah, yes, uh, becoming peace. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, listen, listen to their lie. Mm. Bellana gives it all she's got. Mm-hmm. And then my final note has got to be, does every episode end with the ship flying away?
1: Does every episode have the ship trying to land?
0: It feels that way, doesn't it? <laughs>
1: We sure are having a lot of that lately.
0: And if it wasn't for the fact that Twister wasn't going to come out until 1996, this I okay. swear I I swear yeah. that that would have been like a, hey, you know, tornadoes are popular in, in culture right now.
1: <laughs> Maybe this episode inspired Twister.
0: Probably not. There were no badly CGI'd cows.
1: Mm. And there were no evil storm chasers, so...
0: Evil storm chasers.
1: Yeah, uh, Stunt Butt was my last note, so... <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, no, I actually had one other note. Post-stunt butt, how did Chicote <laughs> <laughs> put on that outfit that has a zip up the back?
0: Yeah, like, I was wondering that, too. Like, I didn't even, like... <laughs> like, how did he know which way he was supposed to go on in the first place? And then, yeah, how did he get the zipper? Like, <laughs> yeah, because
1: having put on clothes once or twice in my life... uh. I can tell you that if you're putting out a jumpsuit that has a zipper up the back, it's not something one person can do.
0: Well, you, you think of like a wetsuit, they usually have like a really long like pull cord on the zipper, but that clearly did not have a really long pull cord.
1: Right, and on a wetsuit sometimes it can be stretchy enough that you can sort of finagle it, but... Sure. Not a, that didn't look stretchy either.
0: No. That was a weird jumpsuit. <laughs>
1: yeah. Okay. That was my final note. So in this episode, they do talk about how the rubber tree people use wood to burn fires to have a hot fire. And they did. N- and next week, we'll have a cold fire.
0: It's the best way you come up with after 57 minutes of recording. So that's what you're going to get, listeners. Yeah, best joke we but, got. That's right. But thanks for listening this week. If you enjoyed it, you should also check out our other podcast, Stargate Weekly.
1: You can find and review both of our podcasts on your podcast player of choice, and you can also reach us at our email address, DeltaFlyerPod at com.
0: You can find me on Twitter at Gamicus. You can find me on Twitter at Tyrannicus. And you can follow the show on Twitter at DeltaFlyerPod. And that's our show.